At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. If you do have your Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 21. If you're new with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. We've had uh, Flip Camp, our VBS, this last week, and so that's why the songs and, and the kids have been so uh, involved with that. It's been just a great week. Again, I just want to thank our volunteers and our teams for serving. I know that you gave your time and extra energy and effort. Uh, you work a full-time job, and then you come and you show up and get worn out on a, on a weekday night, and that just that means so much to us as a church to partner together to see the gospel advance, and I am so grateful for your heart and service uh, to the Lord. But we're looking ahead. We've been in this series in uh, Revelation called All Things New, and we've been over the last several weeks been trying to paint this picture and show you what will it be like for the people of God on the last day. When Christ comes again, what will this world experience? What will believers experience? What will unbelievers experience? What can our hope be, and how should that inform and shape how we live today? In this moment, uh, have you ever read about a place and, and you've wanted to go there and visit that place? I don't, I don't know about you, but, but I enjoy watching travel documentaries. Uh, Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix is one of my favorite shows where it's more about the places that he goes, but I see these incredible things that he eats, and I go, I'd like to try that. I, I'd, I'd get caught up in that. Maybe you've seen a travel show or you, you caught a reel on Instagram of some amazing landscape and you thought, I've got to see that place with my own two eyes. On my coffee uh, table at home right now, there are two books that describe the High Sierra mountain range of California. One's written by a famous science fiction writer who hikes and climbs on them all the time, Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson. And the other is written by a professional hiker and climber, uh, R.J. Secor. And both of these books describe uh, the trails and the peaks and the flowers and the animals and the culture of the High Sierra mountains. They, they talk about what it's like to hike and climb and, and camp and just be up in these spaces. And it's through their words that, that as I read them, and the family can attest to that, as I read them, my eyes kind of get glassy. I get, I get a little thrill going on in my face. And, and I just desire and long to go and to, to be up in those mountains and experience them myself often. Is there anywhere that you've read about or that you've, that, that you've, you've heard described and it, it causes you to think about that place? And you catch yourself daydreaming about that place? You, you want to visit it often? What about heaven? Does that, does that catch your attention? Does what we would describe or name as heaven, that final and eternal place where God's people live forever and ever, does that, does that ever come across your mind? Does it ever capture your attention and, and draw out a longing in your heart to be there as well? This morning, I want to be a travel guide as of sorts. I want, to, I want to share with you from the end of the Bible the description of the Christian's ultimate, forever, final home. I, I want us to see through the words of, of the Bible here, through God's word itself, I want us to see as best as our minds can, can fathom and imagine, I want us to see 
heaven. But I'm going to guess that it's probably not what you may already think about or consider heaven to be. Heaven, as the Bible describes it, is not a world in the clouds where everyone has angel wings, wears some weird robes, plays the harp, and is completely bored with themselves forever and ever. The Bible describes heaven like a city, like an urban, populated, vibrant, glorious city, unlike any other city, any other place you've ever seen. And so I think of my job this morning to be kind of like a tour guide of sorts. Uh, I want to tell you about this city of God. I want to help point out, if you look to the right, as it were, uh, you will see this. I want to help you envision and catch a glimpse of what God says about his city, the city of God, in order that this happens in your life. So that you will long for and that you will live this life here and now to enter that city, to be in that city of God. So, so we're here in the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. And I want to give us, a, as best I can in the brief time I have, a grand tour of heaven so that you long for it, so that you desire it. And, and I'm hopeful that in hearing from this vantage point, you'll be eager to enter the city of God. So let me take you on this tour of heaven this morning as best I can. And to do that, I want to show us three elements of the city that will help you long for and long for and live for the city of God. There's these three elements. Uh, first of all, I want to describe the layout of the city. Now, we didn't read this part of the text this morning. It's a rather long passage, but there at the beginning of, uh, there in chapter 21, verse 9, we begin to hear the description of the layout of the city. John says, Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, He came and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he carried me away. So we're expecting to see a people, but that's what we're going to see. But the people are described as a city. He says in verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, coming down from God, having the glory of God. So, so John here is having this incredible vision and in the vision, one of these angels comes and he escorts John and he says, I want to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, which is in other places in scripture described as the church, the people of God. So God's people are this city. And then John is carried away to this, this great high mountain. Mountains were depicted in the ancient world as the place where, where heaven, you could get to the top of heaven almost, or the bottom of heaven, as if earth and heaven might touch there on the mountains. But, but John's there up on the top of this mountain, as it were, and he sees the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Here John is seeing heaven and earth coming together, heaven and earth made one. God's people are fully and finally united, never to be separated from him again. Now, this is in contrast in Revelation to the to this evil city of Babylon, this, this wicked city that is full of violence and idolatry and hatred towards God and towards God's people. It's the city that is destroying everything. So in the Bible, you have this contrast, the city of God and the city of man or the city of Babylon. And here we're getting a picture of the city of God, the people of God, the final state of God's people, of heaven itself, and the city is his people. And the layout of the city is spectacular. If you just want to summarize verses 11 through 21 here, you, you get a picture of the layout of the city. And I'll, I'll just point out three things that uh, the Bible here describes about the layout of the city. 
First of all, this city possesses the glory of God there in verse 11. This city coming down out of heaven from God has the glory of God. And it's described with a radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, this brilliant and radiant view, this stunning picture of this city has been used elsewhere in Revelation to describe God himself. God is the glorious one. God is the radiant one. It's a depiction of God on his throne. So here in, we're, in this city, we're seeing this, that the people of God, the city of God, carries the glory and majesty of God. That is, that the people of God have been transformed to, sh- to share in and to display his glory in all the world. Or if I could say it this way, God's people look like and are like God. It's it's amazing vision here of us being transformed into the image of Christ. Holy, perfect, pure. So the city carries the radiance of God. But not only that, the city is a glorious one, but it's also a secure city. It's a structured city. Verses 12 through 14 talk about the structure. It has a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the 12 gates and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, now here we see this city that's protected. It's structured. There's a great wall that, that divides the city from the rest. That, that, that wall in ancient uh, Roman Empire was a, a symbol of protection, a symbol of security. Nothing gets into that city except what is permitted. The city itself is completely safe and secure. And with each of these gates, there are names inscribed on them, the names of the Son of Israel. That, that depicts the people of the Old Testament the, the, the saints of old who have believed, looking forward in, in faith to God's promises. And the city is described as having a foundation with the apostles' names on it. That is the description of the church today on the, built on the foundation of the apostles. The city is solid. Nothing moves it. It's a stable and secure city that captures all of God's people. And this imagery with its gates and foundations the apostles and the sons of Israel, is meant to tell us something about this city. This city contains and protects the entire scope of the people of God from all time. Everyone who has trusted in God's promises, either in faith looking forward to Jesus Christ or in our lives today looking past at what Christ has done for us on the cross, all looking together in faith to Jesus, the city of God encompasses us. No one who's trusted in God's promises, whether B.C. or A.D., is left out. And they are secure. They are protected. Nothing will bring down this city. It will stand forever and ever. So the city itself, the layout of the city is it's glorious and it's secure and stable. And a third depiction of the layout of the city is the immense scope and the greatness of this city. This city is not a little town. It's not some small hamlet or village just off in the country. It is an immense, massive, incredible city. Verse 15 to 21, talk about it this way. There we see an angel. The one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. 
Now, I won't read the rest of this here, but this angel goes through and he begins to measure, uh, verse 17, he measured its walls, 144 cubits with human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. He measures the city out, and what we find is this city is this perfect cube, height, length, width, depth, all of it. It's a perfect cube. Now, this will read really weird to us today. In fact, I remember in eighth grade, a Bible teacher saying there's some cube up in space. And if you follow Star Trek, like you're thinking Borg cube at this moment, like headed towards Earth. And it's so big, like that's the city of God coming out. This is metaphor, okay? This is imagery here to get our, our minds to imagine and to think about something far greater. And it's actually biblical. John here is just pulling back from Ezekiel chapter 40 and 41 where Ezekiel has a vision of a new temple, and the angel goes out and measures it. It's a perfect temple. It's a perfect city here. The measurements are perfect in every way. The numbers here speak to perfect harmony and to perfect greatness. The size of this city, it's almost as if God is saying here, it's immeasurable. It's so great. It's so big. And the city is, is bejeweled with the finest gemstones and the purest gold. He talks about this in verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And then in verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Oh, that's where the pearly gates come in. Except they're a single pearl each. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This in, the intention of this description is to stun our imaginations. Every kind of jewel, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, streets of pure gold that are clear as glass, gates of single pearls, the city itself, massive. The measurements of it, if you were just to look in our day, are about 1,400 miles in width, height, depth, length. Incredible city. But he's not just measuring a city. The city is the foreshadowing, the reality of what the earthly temple foreshadowed itself. Specifically, the perfect cube of space in the very center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, is what this city describes. The layout of the city is perfect in every way. The place of God's presence with his people now, an expansive city that is stunning in its majesty. If you, if you could just let your mind run on the imaginative description of this for a bit, I think you'd be overwhelmed. A secure, glorious, radiantly beautiful, majestic city in every way. And when we think about cities today, I don't think this is how we usually think of them. I don't think of Chicago or Cleveland as particularly attractive and beautiful. I don't desire to go to vacation in those cities. We, we think in our suburban safe environments of the crime and violence in the city. And we, we cringe at the poverty and pollution of the city. Hardly anything desire in our minds says, ooh, that kind of city is where I want to live forever and ever. Even overpopulation turns us away when we think about cities and rat infestations in New York and London. But this heavenly city is unlike any other. It doesn't have the problems that we know here today. It's the perfect place where there is no crime, no pollution, no violence, no grime, only glory. And it's full of unending and complete beauty and radiant glory, perfect order and harmony. 
One commentator puts it this way. He says, the city that shines with the glory of God is the ultimate place of security and peace. Its splendor and magnificence are without compare, dwarfing all human measures of extravagance. It is the home for the beautifully adored bride of the Lamb. It is the home of the priestly people of God. It is the place where the created order is restored to its original splendor. And just in the layout of this city itself, I think, I would hope that that would appeal to you to long to live in this city, to, to be there, to be in heaven with God forever, and to long in such a way that informs and impacts the way that you live now today so that you do enter it. But there's more to see in this city. So I've shown you the layout of the city, a perfect cube, glorious in every way, coming down from God, from heaven. It's God's people, fully encompassed. But next I want you to see the light of the city. Just, just consider the glory of the city and the light of the city. John now in verses 22 to 27, what Evan read for us this morning, he starts talking about the things that aren't in the city. And it's rather surprising if you're a, a, a Roman citizen at this time, thinking about the city that you live in and the things that John describes that aren't there, you'd say, wait, these are things that are in every city, except they're not in this glorious city. What are they? Well, every city in the Roman Empire had some sort of temple within it. And yet John says, I saw no temple in the city. Why? Because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Every Roman city had a temple in it. And these were temples to Roman gods and goddesses. They were also temples to the Roman emperors, as if they were gods. Cities competed with each other to have the title from Rome as a temple warden or guardian. But here in this heavenly city, this perfect city, there is no temple and there is no need for one because the Lord God, the Almighty, and Jesus Christ, the Lamb, they are the temple. The temple is intended to be the presence of God with his people and there, finally, God is with his people forever and ever. God is present himself without any need to be mediated or veiled before his people. So there's no temple. And furthermore, there is no there's no sun or moon to give light to the city because God himself is the light of the city. Verse 23, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp is the lamb. Here the city needs no external light, no secondary light to illuminate it. God himself is the source of light and life for all who live within the city. He is the light and Christ shines and there is no darkness or no shadow in the city. And the light of God, the light of Christ shines and it attracts, verse 24, by its light, by the light of Christ, the nations walk and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. The light shines and the nations come in that is, that there will be people from every tongue and tribe and people and place in this earth that will be in the city of God. Heaven will be diverse. It will be multi-ethnic. It will shine with the glory of Christ and it will be beautiful. The, the cultures and distinctiveness of this world will not be whitewashed or stripped of its glories in heaven, but each will be glorified and perfected in Christ. Diversity will be redeemed. And the distinctive culture of each nation will be brought up and, and redeemed and rectified and on display in a brilliant praise of worship to God forever and ever. 
Another commentator says it this way. It seems that John is saying that every good, beautiful thing from the old creation will be in the new. Nothing of beauty will be lost. Instead, it will be present, present in a perfect and incorruptible way. There the light will shine. God's glory will radiate because God will be with his people. And where there is light, there is openness and invitation to this city. Verse 25, its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. Yes, the walls stand for security and stability in the city, but the gates never shut. They have no need to. There will be perfect peace. There will be no night. There will be no threat against this city. So there's no temple in the city because God is there. There's no need for external secondary lights because God is there. And thirdly, another thing that there will not be, there will be nothing unclean in that city because God himself will be there. Verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This city will contain everything perfect and pure and glorious. And only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are welcome into this city, are there inhabiting that city. And that verse should challenge us. The city is a pure city where nothing unclean will ever enter it. And so it raises the question for me anyway, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? That's who gets access and entrance into this city. That's who dwells within it. Those who have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, is your name there? If you're asking how that happens, the scripture points us to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And he saved sinners by living the perfect life they could not live, dying the death that they deserve, and on the third day, overcoming death himself by rising from the dead. The point is that Jesus is the Savior for sinners. And the truth is, you and I are the sinners. So to get into the kingdom of heaven, to get into the city of God, to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life means you must be saved by Jesus and Jesus alone because he is the only Savior. So scripture says that everyone who turns from their sin and repentance and puts their faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done and said will be saved. If you bank your life on Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So friend, have you come to Jesus? Have you trusted him? Are you following him? Then good news, you're in. But if you are unsure, if you lack assurance of having your name in his book, this is an invitation this morning for you to come to Jesus. Jesus doesn't require you to be perfect and sinless to come to him. He requires you to be humble and contrite and to come to him with your sin like a child. Come like a child to Jesus and acknowledge your sin and confess it and trust him with all your life. And the good news is, Jesus will not turn you away. He will accept you. He will forgive you based on what he has done. Jesus won't turn anyone away who comes to him humbly with faith. So long for and live to enter the city of God. This city is open for all who will come to Jesus in this life. Do you see the light of Jesus Christ? Do you see what he has done for you on the cross? See that as his invitation to you, even today, to come to him, to be rescued and redeemed so that this city is your forever home. Why should we long for this place? Well, the city itself is incredible, brilliant. The layout is perfect in every way. And the life, light of the city is God himself. He is in that place with his people, shining his light, perfecting all things. 
There's one more aspect of the city that I will point us to that really makes us this city amazing. And it should prompt within us a desire, a longing to live in the city and to live today for that city. And that is the life of the city itself. The angel takes John to one more location in the city, one more view here. And that is the river in the middle. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There flowing from the center, flowing from the throne of God is the river of life. The place where refreshment is given. It's a metaphor here, a picture of how God himself is the source of life for all who will trust in him. He is the one who brings refreshment. He is the one who brings life. And as you see and you imagine, there's this river flowing through the city. You see life just just being distributed to all the places of the city, venturing out in every tributary to every part of the city. There along its shores are brilliant, massive, glorious trees, the tree of life with abundant and fresh fruit, each complete in variety and help as well. And the tree itself, as John describes it, brings healing itself. The leaves heal the nations. This is the way how the Bible comes full circle here. Think about how the Bible began, where it began. There was a garden where God placed a man and a woman in the midst of that garden. And there in the midst of that garden was a tree, the tree of life. And yet, in their own rebellion and in their own decision to to reject God and his perfection and to, to disobey his one singular command... Humanity was exiled from that garden, from that temple, from that perfect place. And now here at the very end of the Bible, another garden temple with a river flowing through it and the tree of life in it is there. But this time, it's not a sparsely inhabited small garden. It's a massive city full of vibrant life. It's a temple garden that is holy and populated. And there the people of God are experiencing the healing of God in that very place as they experience and taste from the river of life and taste from the tree of life and they live forever and ever and ever. The nations are healed and wholeness and flourishing exist perfectly in the new Jerusalem. No longer, verse 3, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here in this perfect city where we are with God forever, the Bible says that we will see him face to face. We will be healed and restored. We will worship him. We will see him. He will be our light. And we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. Think about this. God in his perfection, in his glory and holiness, 
has made all things new and right in what we see in this vision. And he sits on the throne as king of kings and lord of lords. And all his people, all who've turned and trusted in him, are there with him experiencing joy and happiness and bliss and life forever. Never to be extinguished. Never to experience another disappointment in that life ever again. But complete gladness forever and ever. We are with our God and we will see his face and his name will be on us and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever until the end of the age in which there is no end. Amen. Friends, let me encourage you to think and to look and to imagine what the Bible here tells us about the future for everyone who belongs to Jesus. This is your future This is your destiny and your your joy and your hope to be with God forever and to see him face to face. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, he said it this way in one of his sermons. Brothers and sisters, regard the object of our expectations. See the happiness which is promised to us. Behold the heaven which awaits us. Forget For a while, your present cares. Let all your difficulties and all your sorrows vanish for a season and live for a while in the future, which is so certified by faithful promises that you may rejoice in it even now. Do you long for this reality to be yours? Do you desire and hope for and eagerly anticipate heaven? The city of God is full of life because God himself is there. And we will see him and we will be with him forever. Now, I know this is a brief tour to show you the layout of the city and the light of the city and the life itself of the city, God himself. But I want to encourage you to live your life now to enter that city. It's not just a picture out here for science fiction fantasy. This is a picture of reality for all those who believe and trust in him. And so I want to encourage you to trust in Christ. Here's how you can do that. First of all, make this vision, make this hope a longing in your heart. Meditate on heaven. Desire the city of God. Fix your mind on heavenly things often. Get heaven in your heart and in your mind. Secondly, make it a movement in your life. Live today to enter the city. You're invited to enter the city, all are, who trust in Christ. Those are the ones who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. So today, turn and faith and repentance and come to Jesus, if you have not already. Continue to live in repentance and faith. Believe in Jesus and who he is. Know Jesus' love for you. Do what Jesus says. Make heaven the trajectory of your life here and now so that you will experience it on the day when heaven comes for all of us. The city is open to all who will come to him today. Friend, long for and live to enter the city of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this view and this picture of your great glory and grace, your wonderful blessing on us and the the reality of home that we will have with you forever as you make all things new. As we, your people, are with you forever and ever, we are made right and and we live in perfect harmony and joy and bliss and the glory of heaven is something we can hardly talk about now. 
But Lord, would you increase in our hearts a desire for that day more and more. Strengthen us to know you, to enjoy you, and help us to live for you in this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.